Alright guys, welcome to another episode of Peace, Love, and Meat. We wanted to take a couple of minutes here before we dive into the episode to shout out and thank you to the companies that have partnered with us over the course of this thing for the last handful of months that have you know graciously offered some cool stuff for you guys and really are just friends of ours that make cool stuff and we want to share it and they help you know share what we do too and it's very symbiotic it's very organic and we just love that kind of relationship with companies it's the most natural yeah right like it's it's not a forced this this segment brought to you by and a lot of that stuff it's just like we have friends that make cool stuff we want to share it with you guys so we had a couple of minutes here we wanted to make sure we get all that info out to you before we jump into this episode yeah make sure that you're checking out bornprimitive.com check out all their collections they have the fireside collection which is great flannels jeans jackets check out the born primitive outdoor line which is what i'm wearing in this video if you can see it i have pretty much gone soft most videos you'll most videos you'll see us wearing one of the items out for sure collection. and in lieu of uh, in lieu of camouflage i really have kind of melded into the solids i'll wear camo when needed whitetail stuff but the born primitive idea was so somebody didn't have to blow money on you know something they're going to wear to a dinner or the store or the bar and then turn around and have to buy camo also i mean i've killed things wearing solids some of the best killers in the world are wearing born primitive outdoor solids when they're on their hunts so check it out it's super effective it's a quality layering system from the base layer all the way to the outer shell they've got it down lightweight heavyweight gear cannot beat born primitive outdoor owned by a seal founded by a vision and just really really great line of products and if you sign up for the email you're going to save some cash when you buy and then uh, we also want to mention our buddy Drew Kohlhofer mm. over at Selway Archery. Uh, both of us have quivers that he has made. They do all kinds. They do plastic hood quivers. They do rawhide. The um, one that I have is a rawhide one that he also does custom laser engraving on. If you send like uh, any kind of design or image or something that you want engraved on them, they, they can do this awesome laser engraving on the rawhide. It just makes it look awesome. I have the Nomad Strength logo that he put on mine. But that one really came about more because Drew is awesome. Yeah. And not only that, I mean, he makes awesome stuff, but there's there's been, I, I make the joke all the time that there's been a handful of stepbrothers did we just become best friends moments that I've had with him over the course of the last year of getting to know him. Yep. Um, but just everything they do about running that company is for as long as they have. They're just good people. And, uh, I mean, true, like, American small business mindset, right? Like, yeah. they make awesome stuff, and there's good values behind it. And we wanted to share that because they make awesome stuff, and we love it. Yeah, and they do so much. The coal offers and, and Selway do so much for, I mean, if you look at anybody in the traditional archery spectrum with the podcast or anything, they're offering support, they're offering to share, they're offering to help. And that is just an example of who they are as people. So, like we said, we never want to try to inundate you with product. We never want to try to inundate you with, hey, we got this sponsor and this sponsor and this sponsor. I would rather tell you, hey, these are our friends. They make great stuff that we personally use and have used, and we want to share that. So, thank you, Drew. Thank you, Kurt, Mike Hearn over at Born Primitive uh, for really setting this up and making it go. Guys, check them out. They support us. You support us. Can't thank you enough. be hitting the mute button probably several times if I sound like garbage and need to hack it all up. It's all good, man. Been brutal for a couple of days, but we're back. We are back. Welcome to Peace, Love, and Meat. We're on episode 40-something. <laughs> we're all like we're like a couple ahead, a couple episodes ahead of when we actually release them now because we got a good, we're back on a good schedule yeah. doing it this way, but. Yeah, so you've been down. how it rolls. You've been down for, what, a few days now, huh? Yeah, well, it had yeah, Sunday, today's Wednesday, so Saturday night was starting to just feel like a little bit of something up in my head, and Sunday morning woke up full-blown, like couldn't even see mm -hmm. sinus pressure yeah. stuff. Sunday was pretty crappy, and Monday was a little bit better, but still not great. And then yesterday, and I was actually supposed to go out hunting on Monday, mm -hmm. and literally woke up, and I'm like, I can't, I'm like hacking up, walking to the bathroom, <laughs> you know, like not going to do me much favors 
trying to be quiet and sneaky on top of the fact that I can't breathe, like trying to walk around up in the cold air in the mountains yeah, and then doing this, like we're not going to make it on Monday. So yesterday was, uh, the closing day of rifle for deer season yep. in the, just the general, general deer season. So I ended up feeling well enough to go out yesterday morning for most of the morning and then heartbreak ensued from <laughs> there forward, I suppose. But <laughs> That's how it goes. Um, so you were telling me a little bit about it, and um, you know, from a from a hunting standpoint, you know, I've killed killed an elk with a rifle. I've killed a lot of whitetails with a rifle. Do you feel any kind of like? It's all, I don't want to say it's an invincibility, but it's like more of man. This is going to be like you almost have a, a higher confidence. Well, you should with a rifle. But do you mm-hmm. feel sure. do you feel that same level of excitement when you get close or like when you get into the moment? I guess I'll tell you that I'll tell you yes because that's what ultimately blew it for me yesterday <laughs> was <laughs> me getting too a little too worked up yeah because it cost me just the I made a I made a wrong decision on a route I should have gone and ended up kind of blowing the whole thing up. And I attribute part of that to the me being just a little overamped at what I was looking at. Yeah. I attribute part of it to being that was really kind of the first time I've been in a situation like that alone. Mm-hmm. And so there wasn't the moment of conversation or feedback on like, hey, what's the plan? Yeah, yeah. It was kind of like, there's the plan. I'm doing it, yeah. I guess. Nobody's here to tell me not to do it. <laughs> and, you know, me 40 minutes from now would look back and say, you shouldn't have done that. Right. But... With the, I've, you know, I, I hunted with the rifle before I ever got into, into archery mm-hmm. and I, I still enjoy it just because of some of the opportunities that it presents sure. from a season standpoint Absolutely. also. And, and I love shooting rifles. Mm-hmm. So it's not, I don't have like this, you know, now that I, now that I'm really into archery and even more so now that we're doing a lot more traditional and recurve stuff, I don't have like this, I can, I'm only going to do this yeah. now. You know, I know a lot of people do, and that's fine. But I've I've always enjoyed all aspects of the different things that come with different hunting seasons and different weaponry and yep. stuff. So, I mean, that's still a skill I want to be proficient at, anyways. Mm-hmm. Like being able to shoot rifles well, long distance, yep. and feel confident with the, especially with the one that I have specifically. Like I remember at Winterstrong a couple years ago. I mean, it's Buck had said it's kind of the same as like the Bruce Lee quote about the guy with 10,000 kicks mm-hmm. right and he's and buck said something to the effect of you know he's like i understand the need, like why people want to have a huge arsenal of weapons uh like a bunch of different guns and stuff and he's like but i'm i'm way more worried about the guy who has two guns that he's fired 50,000 rounds mm-hmm. through each yeah and it's like a it's like a third hand to yeah. him than the guy who's got 400 weapon vault right, in right. his basement you know yeah uh, and and not that I, you know, I, I have a handful, but I really want to get good at, and feel comfortable with the ones that I have. And I don't get to shoot the long range stuff as much. And so this time of year, I just like doing it mm-hmm. for, for rifle season. But like to, to kind of circle back with kind of the mindset part of it, 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 uh, it obviously is different because you're you, not that you feel like you get yourself more leeway, mm-hmm. even though that's kind of what it is, because there's obviously the thing of I don't need to be as close, right. but. I still put a cap on, I'm not going to shoot farther that like for me, I'm not shooting farther than 400. Sure. Like that's just the number I put. I don't, and it's not that I can't, right. it's just, I don't, I don't, I don't like shooting farther than 400 mm-hmm. on living thing. Right. Right. You know, like I think it, for me anyways, with a guy shoot a 270, yeah. uh, and great caliber for, for, for pretty much any Western game. But it, it like, it, Past 400, I'm just thinking to myself in my head, even if it's not entirely accurate, I'm thinking to myself, there's too many variables past 400 yards, you know? And especially when you're doing like these cross canyon shots, like what I was looking at yesterday, where like it's, you know, I I closed the distance and could have made it, I was a little over 300 to get to that that one spot that I was trying to get to. Mm -hmm. But you're looking at like a straight down drop and a straight, basically a straight up the other side to get to where they were. And it's, you know, distance wise, linear distance, it's less than, you know, it's 300 yards, but that gap, you're, there's so much weird wind that happens in there. There's, I mean, there's just so much stuff that can, 
like affect how this goes after 400. And so I'm just, I just don't, I'm not a fan of doing it for myself. Yeah. And I know you've taken an animal at twice that <laughs> distance. So it has nothing that it's like, it's just a personal yeah, thing. Well, it has nothing to and do the thing it. about it is, it's like, um, I had two kind of parameters for that, for that hunt with the elk. It was, you know, I want to get yeah. to 200 yards or less, or yeah. I want to be, I want to send it, you know? And mm-hmm. the way that it was all setting up, um, I remember it so well because it was like, that was on the heels of driving cross country, just like the effort put into it. Yeah, you're on the road for like two days just to get Yeah, there. it was crazy. So in 24 hours, I drove 23, got all the way to New Mexico, got up and drove. I think I slept four hours. Um, I did get a hotel room because I usually sleep in my truck, but I got a hotel room because I knew we were going to start hunting that afternoon. So I wanted to get like yeah. a little bit of sleep. And um, I think I rolled in about two and ended up because I left I left Kentucky around two and this was three hours of driving yeah. so no it was more than that because it was twenty four hours on the clock so it was twenty seven hours because I drove across three time zones so it's twenty six hours in twenty seven or whatever it was and yeah. uh, get there sleep for four or five hours get up and drive three or four hours and we go out and hunt and sure enough um, found a great bull you know it was probably between two eighty three hundred inch bull. And he's just below us. And we'd looked all day, hadn't seen anything. And uh, kind of really winding down to the point where you eat the last of your snacks, drink the last of your water. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like we're going to the truck soon, so we'll just kill this daylight and head down. So literally is we're drinking the last little bit of our, our water there. And I can't remember exactly what I had, probably those uh, – honey the nut valley or nature valley bars and i had one of those crumble everywhere yeah for sure (laughs) loudest rapper on the planet so he's like hey we got a bull right over here he's good location nice place for a pack out so i'm getting set up on him and it's like like we talked about maybe 250 260 and sort of what you're describing as well i could have gotten 50 60 yards closer to get to that 200 yard mark but it was also yeah. going to be like, well, it's 60 yards down. And then yeah. I would have to go 60 yards straight into Junipers where there's no shot whatsoever. So yeah. we talked about it, ranged him. He was like 256. And I was like, sounds like 200 to me. So um, <laughs> yeah. I'm getting kind of prepped for that, getting getting everything laid out. And I've got a, I keep a blanket in my, it's from Ecuador. It's like a alpaca wool blanket in my yep. uh Kifaru striker bag it's kind of like it's a clamshell and the clamshell is yep. open space so i fill that open space with that that blanket and it's come in handy for a multitude of reasons but in this particular instance i laid it down and the bag was going to be my my set where i was going to put the rifle yeah as soon as i get everything set up for this bull um guy turns around and he said man what is that and we heard something crack like big stick crack and we look over yeah. and there's just a tree moving, you know, and this bull's in there just raking the shit out of it. And we can't see the bull, but we can see the tree and it's a large tree. So we know that the bull is substantial. Sure right. enough, get a glimpse of him range over there. And it's like the first range just above him comes back at 900. And I'm like, that sounds far enough. And, uh, <laughs> in all seriousness, he was coming up this bowl and it's, it's on red mountain out there is what it's called, but it's just a tremendous yeah. bowl where I've packed out bulls before and it's brutal. It's just, there's no good yeah. angle to get into it. Thought it was going to be a little bit easier cause he was kind of going around to a roadside that was, you know, it's a mile and a half to the road, but it was easier than where we had come from to get him out. And it was like, okay, right. this is good. So lay down, set up. He walks into the only clearing on the mountain. Like there's only one spot of dirt amongst all this juniper. And he just literally stands there, broadside. Get the range, it's 856. And what you're talking about, the wind swirl and whatnot. Um, so I put it, just because of the distance, I went center mass, yeah. lungs. I'm not trying to be cute, kill, you know, heart shot, just center mass lungs. Yeah. The first bullet, the trajectory, I could watch it. It just it came left and actually kind of hit him where the brown, the dark brown meets the tan. Yep. yep. Took it like yep. a champ. 
stood there and quickly reloaded, required, aimed at the basically what would be like the guts to liver, and that yeah. shot was actually a perfect shot and uh, put right him down. On. Just that from that drift, of dude. The bullet you know, that two distance. three feet. You know, on a, yeah. on a bullet at at that distance, um, just because of the wind. And I mean, we were we were playing the wind a little bit, but what had happened was is where we were we didn't have a good clear wind indication because we had some blockage. So we were getting wind, yeah, but it wasn't as strong. And when we looked out, it was like, it was after the fact we were looking and we could see some of the treetops, like they were almost pushed over and it was like, but it it all happened so quickly in that, in that moment. It's like, you got to get him. He's in the only spot you can shoot him, blah, blah, blah. So we got it done, but I definitely have a deeper respect for rifle hunters after that, because, you know, even that, that 250 like you said you have a hardline 400 and that's what i even asked you about you were like i can do it and but it's like in this situation not the best so i have a tremendous respect for you having especially being alone with you know you you make this crazy shot and you kill it well you're the hero but you take that shot and you wound it and you lose him or, or any number of things it's just a different kind of feeling and i've been on both ends with a whitetail shot a doe one time thought it was a perfect shot and watched her for about 200 more yards and at this point just having a you know a limited range rifle yeah um, i couldn't yeah. shoot her again but i watched her and ended up uh, seeing her on trail cams a couple times just not being able to get a follow-up shot not having any experience it's just not a good yeah. feeling i mean and everybody else yeah. is like that's oh, just a stupid doe well yeah but i didn't pull the trigger hoping she'd walk away you know what i mean right and it's yeah. just not a good feeling totally. so i i to you, I have a lot of respect uh, for for having that self control because maybe knowing myself, um, I am one that tends to like I said, two fifty sounds like two hundred. I could have seen yeah. myself being at four twenty five and being like, okay, I trust myself to four hundred. Beyond that, it's sketchy. Well, let's take the shot. And I'm not I'm not saying that braggishly. Yeah. I'm saying that like very. Yeah. I need to rethink some things sometimes. You know. But even where I, where I originally saw him, so, I mean, to to walk back a little bit of it, I went up on Friday of last week uh, with my father-in-law to this spot. He was just up there, wanted to come drive around and scout. He doesn't do uh, much hiking at all anymore. He just wanted to come with and scout from the road and stuff while I was walking around. And uh, I walked down to this spot, you know, on, off some intel from a buddy of mine who doesn't live here anymore, but he said this, this place is held really good bucks down in here in the past. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, sweet, I'll go check it out. And I got down there on Friday, took me 20 minutes to find this group of like real nice full bodied does. Mm-hmm. And there was four of them down there and they didn't have any, any little ones with them. So I'm like, all right, well they're already kind of grouping up, getting ready here for the next couple of weeks, you mm-hmm. know, and they're, they're good size. And so I'm like, I waited, you know, most of the day, didn't see any bucks come through. I'm like, all right, well, these are here there's no other hunters back where this, you know, off this little part of the trail where I am. So they'll probably still be here in a couple of days. So when I went back yesterday, I, I knew from when I was there the other day, there was a spot that was farther up another Ridge mm-hmm. away from me that I was like, I want to get to there because I'm now looking almost back at them. And I get more of a view of the, cause they're down like in this brush pocket mm-hmm. kind of down at the bottom. Yeah. And so I'm like, I can see them, but I can't see the rest of the bottom. Yep. And so if I get to this other ridge over here, I can look back at them and see everything down low. And so when I told myself yesterday, I'm like, I'm going to get to over there so I can look back. And I got to that exact spot that I wanted to go to. And I looked down at the bottom and they weren't there, but literally on the same hillside, just farther up, like they were still feeding and working their way down. Yeah. And uh, I look up and there's, I, I see the first four right there. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, not 150 yards from where I saw them four days ago. So I'm like, all right, sweet. And so I'm just sitting there watching him for a little while. And then one more doe comes out. I'm like, oh, okay, here we go. And then one more doe comes out, like kind of from behind this little flat of this hillside. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, dang, six does. They picked up two more. And I'm like, I bet there's probably someone with them then, you know? So I sit there and I watch for a couple minutes. And then sure enough, man, like this just freaking tank Mm -hmm. just starts strolling. And when I see him, like he's literally coming from behind walking. And he's walking and literally like throwing his head around at him like this, like pushing him up the hill. And I'm like, Oh sweet. Like they do have a buck with him. It took me and like sun is not even up yet. So like, it's kind of that, like right before sunlight light mm-hmm. where you can't really see, but you can still see, you know? Yeah. 
and my, uh, I'm looking at him like, oh, he looks pretty, you know, he looks like pretty good size. And right as the sun crests over the hill and they're on the west facing yeah, yeah. slope. So they're going to be in the shade for a while. Right as the sun like crests over, literally it looked like a satellite dish. Like that <laughs> first thing of light hits the back of his head and it just lights up his beams. And I'm sitting there. I'm literally, I, I said it out loud. I'm like, holy shit. Like right as I'm looking through yeah. the binoculars. And that was right when I text you. I'm like, dude, yeah. <laughs> like this dude is crazy. And this dude's a tank. And uh, when I saw them right then, they were, they were right about 650. Yeah. And so even that range, like talking about ranges, like I know guys who would take that shot, yeah. you know, at 650, mm-hmm. like confidently. Sure. And so, I mean, it's not like out of the realm of doable, right. but it's like, I've just never done And I've shot up to 500 fairly well with my, with my 270, but it's just like, I don't, I don't want right, to, right. you know? And, uh, so the thing that I ultimately screwed up, which I didn't really like outline for you how it happened, but the way that I was looking at it was I'm sitting on this ridge and they're on the opposite ridge. Mm-hmm. And then there was a third one that kind of like, they kind of come down into this triangle down into this, mm-hmm. this brush pocket bottom. Right. And I'm looking at the one straight across from me and they're on this one. And I'm like, okay, if I can get to the one that's the ridge that's across from them, that's next to me, that'll cut my distance. And I'll be at about 300 for a shot, like 300 to 280. Cause I had been there the day before mm-hmm. I knew that distance. And I'm like, all right, I'll watch him for a little while longer. And while I'm watching him, like I just sat and watched this buck for like 35 minutes, just literally like running after these does, like moving him around. And they're like trying to run away from him. And he's like looping way down low and pushing him back up. And like, it was awesome to just watch him this whole time. And as the daylight kind of keeps coming up a little bit farther, you can see like really how, how much of a bruiser this dude was mm. like he had probably, I think I texted you. He probably had three or four inches in width off each side farther than the width of his ears. Yeah. Like it almost kind of had like that almost 90 degree angle yeah, yeah. <laughs> look on him, you know? And so I'm like getting really amped up and I make my plan. I'm going to go to this thing. Well, like it took me until I got there. I'm like, this was stupid because I'm the ridge that I'm working to the whole way there is east facing mm-hmm. right and there's no way to go like up and over and come back around i have to literally loop around kind of right in front of them on, on the east facing slope that's getting now punched by the sun right right and so like wind is all great like wind is totally my favorite it's blowing right at me all morning long so i'm like i'm good there but i'm literally and there's no like real uh, it's sage it's not yeah. like big timber right so i'm like i'm literally just walking around this hillside in sage pretty much in full view for a couple of seconds. Like I lost visual having to dip down and come back up. Mm -hmm. But then when I'm now working around that ridge to get into position, I'm like, there was probably 10 minutes where they like working around where they're just like, Oh, there he is. Yeah. You know, and he's only 300 from us. And I get there and right as I get to that spot, I watched the last one like dip up over the top and I'm like, and I'm sitting there looking, I'm like, what the hell? And I'm, I turn around like, well, that was stupid. Now realizing what I just did because what I ultimately should have done was just drop straight down and go onto the ridge that they were on mm. and work around the backside and come up over the top and look down on them because then I'm, you know, in the same shade as they are. I'm on the same yeah. hillside that they are instead of trying to do this whole thing because I thought it would be faster. Yeah. And it's just one of those things where it's like, well, like I said, first time I'm in this position by <laughs> myself, go figure, I'm going to make a stupid call that ends up costing me. Yeah, But it was just... It, it was kind of a bummer and I ended up, I told you, I sent a video to you, but it was, it was kind of funny. My buddy that told me about the spot, I texted him and told him what had happened. And he had said, he's like, and I dropped him the pin, like right where the deer were. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is right where they were standing. And I saw him and he goes, dude, two years ago, I was down in there and I saw at the time, the biggest, the biggest buck that I had ever seen in Idaho mm-hmm. in, the, in literally like my pins right next to yours where I have him saved. Yeah. And so we're, we're confident that it's, it's the same deer and you know, two years later. So, I mean, like I can't, this dude's probably seven, yeah. eight years old, maybe yep. like just a crusty old, like <laughs> just a, just an old crusty buck up there, yeah. man, which was makes sense why he's as old as he is. Like he knows how to survive, you know, like those things when they get that old, they're not going to just make dumb mistakes. Yeah. Well, I'm curious too, like you said, you may go back with your bow. 
now that the season yeah. changes. Yeah, bow season op- bow season opens up on the tenth. It goes from the tenth to the twentieth, and this is actually one of the only. There's only two units in Idaho for a general archery tag during the run. Yeah. And this unit's one of them. Because all the other ones are the August, like the early season yeah. stuff for generals. There's there's no there's only two units in the state that have general archery during the rut. You can get draw tags or whatever, yeah. but just regular over So are you going to go up there? Because I'm assuming basically you observe the same behavior, same hillside sweep of everything. Yep. So is yep. your play to go back up and spot them? Or is your play to go in and get tucked down in the basin where they might walk into you? That's what I'm not sure. I mean, if like, you have a spotter, I've, that's the play to go. Like, if you have somebody that goes and that's, with you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's kind of what I was thinking. It just depends on if I'm up there alone again. Because if I am, then I would think I just need to sit up and post up for a while and find mm-hmm. them. And then from there, like, hopefully not make another stupid decision like I did yesterday. But at least have an idea of where they are to work to, you know. Right. Like, And then it's from there just being quiet and not getting spotted yeah. again. Yeah. But that's awesome though, that you it, have that potential. Yeah. And it was fun just to, like I told you when we were talking yesterday, like it was fun just to watch him mm-hmm. for 30, 40 minutes, just like doing his thing and rooting around and chasing him all over that, that hillside. And like, I honestly, that's, I, I think I told you that's the biggest one I've ever seen since I've been hunting, mm-hmm. like out in, out in the wild hunting, looking, I've seen a lot of, a lot of deer, a lot of decent sized deer, but like I could from from 400 yards out when I got to the last visual of him that I'd seen, like he was by far the biggest I've ever seen out in the wild, which was pretty cool. Yeah, well, I so, love. If anything, it was fun just to watch him. You know. Yeah, big mule deer are pretty pretty incredible. Um, speaking of Idaho, so my buddy, he's a pretty big coyote hunter out here, and um, yeah. kills a bunch of them, and really, really kind of delved into the art of it connected him and Zach yesterday because one of his dreams is to kill a wolf out there. Yeah. And, yeah. um, you know, I just told him, I was like, look, you guys need to cross paths for a number of reasons, but maybe he can help you kill a wolf and then you can help him with some coyote stuff. But that would be cool if they can get together. But, um, yeah, Idaho, he's a wolf hunter, man. Yeah, I, I know he, uh, <laughs> it's a pretty cool thing. It's funny when I see guys kind of like they find their stride you know, or they find their thing. It's like Joey, you know, he used to kill whitetails and stuff, but once he found coyotes, it was, that was it. Yeah. And, yeah. and it seems like Zach's going that direction. I mean, he still kills other stuff, but the, the pursuit of the wolves seems to have been the thing that's like captivated him. Yeah. So I, I sure. really, uh, I think that's awesome when you see somebody that just becomes almost like a specialist. Um, there's a guy on mule deer I can't think of, but there's a couple guys out of Utah that man every year it's a giant bull every year it's a tank of a mule deer and yeah i don't think the average person realizes i mean i watch these two guys and they're not guides but they're out there almost every week like two or three days a week they're up there glassing year round and it's no wonder that they start to i mean it's awesome when they kill because they'll have four or five years of video and many times they'll have like three or four years of sheds so it's yeah. like that's a whole different thing that I even understand, you know, to watch a mm-hmm. to watch a an elk or a you know, it's one thing to watch them on a whitetail farm where you know you got cameras and stuff, but to get out and dig them out of those pockets, find them in the trees, find their sheds yeah. for years and years and years. That's just a different beast, but do you think Idaho is or do you think Idaho has been subjected to the the out-of-state non-resident hunter like some of the others? Or is Idaho still pretty much honoring the the local resident? They do. Well, it's yes to both. Mm. And part of the reason of the former is because Idaho is still the cheapest place to hunt as an out-of-state resident in, Mm. or as a non-resident in the West. Mm -hmm. Like any tag is way cheaper in Idaho than you'll get in Montana or Colorado or Wyoming or Utah. Like, it's and and not and, and I guess it's they've been raising him gradually over the last few years, but it's not even particularly close. It's not like a fifty dollar difference between an elk tag here and an elk tag in Colorado. It's like a few hundred dollars. Different. Sure, yeah, I think elk you for know, most places so, up around eight nine hundred dollars now. I mean, I'm pretty sure it's less than seven hundred in Idaho. Yeah, I can check, I can check, but I yeah, it's it's from an affordability standpoint. But the difference is. 
and and maybe this offsets some of it. I don't know if it does, but Idaho is also, I think, the only. Maybe there's another one. I'm not sure, but only Western state that doesn't operate on a point system. Yeah. So if you you know how you can rack up points for not getting tags and then spend them, and you basically are you know not guaranteed, but you have way better yeah. chances of getting them in these other states. You don't have that with Idaho, so you have the same crappy odds every year you put in. <laughs> So, I mean, I know, like, literally, I know guys that have put in for stuff for 25 years. Like, I know I know guys that have put in for a moose tag for 25, 30 years and never gotten one. And I also know people who have put in, it, who have put in for, like, these, they call them super hunts mm-hmm. here. It's either moose, bighorn, or mountain goat. And they've gotten, like, two of the three of them in a 10-year span. Yeah. You know, like, it's, there's no, it's all random odds. Like, you can never point the stuff into your favor. Uh, that being said, there's there's still, I mean, because there's so much percentage of the state here that's public land, yeah. I think it's second. Second or third in the country in terms of percentage of the state area that's public land, only to like Alaska mm-hmm. and maybe Montana. Yeah. But Montana's even got a lot of private these days. Yep. But And a lot of it's really rough country. Yeah. You know, you get to the middle, the the central part of the state into the like where the the sawtooths and yep. even farther up north by salmon and you start getting into the Rocky Range and stuff like there's just a lot of rough country yeah. in the I've state. Been up in the Nez. So that kind of helps deter a little bit of that, I would think. Yeah. But I was up in the Nez Perth area um, far, yeah. far north. And that's that's a pretty mm-hmm. intimidating uh, landscape there. I mean, beautiful in every way that you could imagine, like from the rivers to the mountains to the flatlands, but it's just, it's intense. Um, yeah. Putting together a pretty strong 2024, uh, as far as hunts right now, trying to line those out, but going to have some international hunts and man, I, I want to get back out West early. Um, spent a lot of time this year focused on pigs and, and whitetail and, uh, really dedicated to that and a few weeks back um went out there and and did some some hunting on that and you know liz was able to get her first whitetail with perfect shot unbelievable track like that was (laughs) it went like 10 yards um and i'm not laughing at it it's just the the spectacle of it was like yeah perfect shot 10 yards hits a hits a fence like a fallen like underbrush barbed wire that had been there for 50 years stumbles yep. goes another few yards and and just dies and it, what was funny was i'm down there like going through okay here's the arrow let's find the blood blah 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 and it's like oh it's right there you know so yep that was awesome yep. um to be there and to see that and to know the dedication that it took to get that done um was pretty impressive and then also for myself um being able to stalk some pigs and learn the pigs being able to shoot a whitetail so I wanted to talk about a couple of those things, um, just just from really trying to to speak on. Uh, I guess shine light on Tom Clum and and evolution as far as the broadhead companies, the bow company, and the arrow. So using the Buana Hunter this year, and really really cool because as I told you, and I think we talked offline a little bit, I really did try to make that bow shoot like my Hoyt. And that was just a disservice yeah. to the bow. I mean, I was able to shoot it. I was able to be, you know, I could I could group with it, but I never had that, like, man, this bow is doing exactly what I want. So right. when I got the chance to finish the season out last year and dedicate to this bow, I got it. I, I kind of let it build the arrow for me. You know, I just right. started shooting it and change weights, change inserts, cut it, change weights, change insert, cut it. And finally just found an arrow that was singing with it. And um, so on the deer, uh, I used the Evolution. That is the Jekyll. It's the fixed blade, 175 grain. Devastating little four blade. And um, that was that was a really, really just a wanted to get some meat for the freezer, wanted to help the farm. Um, and that was kind of a service kill and also an ability to, to use those broadheads. But the, yeah, you know, and everything was, everything performed. But the one I wanted to kind of talk about was on the pig. Um, just a really crazy stalk into situation. So get super, super close, um, maybe eight yards from a, 
from a pack of 30 pigs. I don't know. That, that might be an exaggeration, but we'll just say yeah. 20 to 30 pigs and eight yards is probably as accurate as it's, as it's going to get. I mean, eight to 10 for sure. And as I'm getting closer, the wind is just howling in my face. And that's the only thing that you, I've learned pigs are one of the hardest animals to kill. Like not only from their ruggedness when you do shoot one, but like, and that's kind of what I'm going to talk about here, but also the, uh, just the reality of their nose. They smell everything. So, and they're very, very skittish. So I'm super tight with this group and I'm like, this is going to happen. And, uh, lo and behold, the, the pigs kind of move around and I get this one pig quartering to at, at later measured at like 12, 13 yards. So mm-hmm. I shoot and the bo- the blade, this is a Rocky mountain three cutthroat three blade, 200 grain, different, different links on the arrows, but the, and the, that's the cha- That's the reason for the different head weights, but 175 on the evolution, 200 on the Rocky mountain. This thing hits the pig goes in the front shoulder, completely cross bodies this thing and comes out full pass through, not even hung up on the feathers out the hind quarter on the opposite side. Mm -hmm. So this pig runs into the woods. I'm I'm looking at her. I'm like, Oh my God, what the hell? So it's like dead pig done deal and go into stock or, you know, give it a little bit of time and go in to look for this thing. I've got an arrow knocked blood everywhere. Just a tremendous blood trail and get in there. And it's like, I hear something, and then I see the pig literally stand up, standing there, broadside, broken back leg, because it came out the hip, broke the back leg. Uh, pretty sure that it damaged the front shoulder to the, to a similar level. So this thing's not moving very well. And in the name of ethics, I'm like, I'm going to shoot it again, you know, like to get it down. Yep. But I'm looking, and this thing is bleeding profusely, like a lot. And at this point in that front shoulder, it's just a trickle. And a lot of times when you go through bone or something like that, that's what you'll get because it has to work through all that layer. On the back leg, it's, it's bleeding pretty straight down, just a nice, even stream. And there's, like I said, there was blood everywhere for 25 yards. So I shoot it again, two inches behind the initial entry. Perfect heart shot. Like absolutely lace the heart. This thing starts pumping out the side like if you were glopping oil on the ground. So you have one that's running like a little trickle, but, mm-hmm. but p- profusely. And then two inches yeah. behind that, it's going <laughs> just chunking blood and throwing like clots, you know, mm-hmm. takes off again. Like, and I, when I say takes off, I'm talking maybe like five to 10 feet, like just moving. So five to 10 feet later stops again. And I'm like, it's going to go down. And I'm watching. It's going to go down. I'm watching. And I hear it from her. She's like, it's okay, pig. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> and I'm like, well, it's not really, but like, I want to get this pig down. Yeah. So yeah. I shoot it again, two inches above. So I've got this like perfect little two inch triangle and I shoot it again and it takes it like just eats it. You know, I mean, it full pass through starts bleeding again profusely from three holes and then finally just does a circle around a tree and collapses. But I'm telling you, man, that was on a, like the first shot, I'm going to say double lungs, liver, guts, yeah, muscle tissue. Second shot for sure. Heart shot. Third shot, heart lungs. Like, and the thing was alive for over, let's just say 20 minutes before I even went in and then another five minutes after that fact, you know, so 25 minutes, this arrow or this pig had three perfectly placed arrows put through it and, and took it. And I'm not saying that as in like, Oh, I'm a badass. I did this or did that. I'm just saying it is incredible how difficult it is to get these animals down. And that's why it's been such an amazing thing to like fall in love with hunting pigs because one, it's a never-ending supply. It's such a problem out, yeah. out there in in the yeah. states like Texas, Oklahoma, you know, on and on and on. Um, it's just a really, really rampant problem. 
But two, it's afforded me so much opportunity to become a better hunter, like playing the wind, hooking around the long way. Um, so many things like where I've gone straight at them, just like what you were talking about. Like, this makes sense, but it doesn't work. Why didn't it work? Even yeah. though it made sense. Yeah. And just having the ability to, to kind of like fail and learn, fail and learn, it's, it's definitely paid off. Um, but dude, it's, somebody was asking me the other day about the recurve and I guess it goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning, a little bit of the rifle at, aspect versus like the compound versus the recurve. And yeah. I think at times I just like anybody, and th this was true of me as a competitor, you have to believe in yourself and what you're doing more than your options, you know, like not necessarily more than, but just, you've got to commit to something. And when I pick up the recurve and I said, this is what I'm going to do, that became my primary, my focus. But I don't want to not know how to shoot my pistols. I don't want to not know how to shoot my rifles and my compounds and so on and so forth. So when I'm starting to show the, the stuff with my compound again, you know, there's a few guys on the recurve side that started questioning. They're like, well, it's easy to shoot or it's easy to hunt with a recurve when you can always fall back to the compound. And they're not wrong. But it's also yeah. like, I am still learning. Like, I am still yeah. so much a beginner as far as recurve shooting, recurve hunting, hunting. Um, you know, I didn't get the chance to spot stock stuff as a kid. You know, you sit in a stand or you wait for a deer and you shoot it. So all of this kind of lending itself to, to growth in myself as a hunter and, and really becoming a better practitioner with all my tools. Um, that's kind of one of the things I was going to tell you too, for 2024, probably going to line up at least one cow hunt with a rifle, you know, um, yeah. and a cow hunt being a cow elk, elk just yeah. because one, that is the best meat you can get. It's the most affordable elk hunt you can do. Um, yep. so on and so forth. But it's also like, I got two years ago into, where I was hunting so much that it became taxing. And then last year was much the same way. So, and this year's been kind of like everything was going to happen. And then some hunts fell through some different things. So I've kind of scrambled. So next year I just wanted to set out, okay, I'm going to Australia in June. I'm going to go to, um, where am I going? Oh, going to Argentina after that. That'll give me a break before the season starts hunt something in August and maybe get two, maybe three white tails later on in the season. But that, that is kind of what I'm looking at. But the, you know, something out West, if I can go hunt a mule deer or a bull elk, and then along the way, just take a day and go kill a cow elk with a rifle in New Mexico or something. That's, yeah. that's a perfect trip. So it more comes from the economics of going out West and coming back with two times the meat for one trip. That would be my, yeah, but totally. again, that would probably be something where I challenge myself like, okay, let's get a 300 to 500 yard shot on an elk, on a cow elk. And, yep. you know, again, it's not for any kind of glory other than, because there are people that would rip that and say that's too far of a shot. But for me, yep. it is working at a skill set that I know I've done. I've taken high level training from Brian Morgan out in Idaho. I've received rifle training from special forces, different things that I've, I've worked with, groups that I've worked with, individuals. So that's a range that if I'm not shooting that at least a few times a year, it's going to go yeah. away. And if not the, yeah. the actual skill, the confidence to do so is going to go away. Yeah. So I am, I am definitely proud to hunt with my recurve. But like if a situation came up last year, like uh, with Levi, he said, hey, man, I'm testing a new arrow system and it's for a compound. I'd love to have you down, but you got to shoot your compound. Well, okay, I can, I can say, well, I, I'm just going to stick to my recurve and not hunt, or I can go hunt. And I learned so much being in camp with a guy like that, who just dissects everything and is super successful as a hunter. And then I also got to to kind of like desensitize myself to these freak beasts of of whitetails because every single sit I was seeing monsters. So then it's yeah. like. Well, here's a 180, and here's a 170, and here's this, and here's this, and I can only shoot a specific deer on the whole f on the whole farm. I have one deer yeah. on the entire property that I can hunt. So when he comes in, 
he's not the biggest in the field. He's not the oldest in the field. But that gave me a level of calm on a big deer that I'd never had before. And ever since then, it's been like, these are just deer. You know, it's not, that's not a negative statement. That is a personal control yeah. statement. You know, because used to, it would be like when the, when a mature big buck would come out, you know, I would overcome myself, but it would be like instant jitters, heart rates through the throat. And I do get yep. to those moments, but for the majority of the lead up, I'm much more calm and like, it's much more of a process driven thing than an emotion driven thing. So I'm, I'm still, you know, I'm still having so much fun as, as a beginner and I'm allowing myself to be a beginner because for so many years with my compound and especially, you know, when you, when you're rubbing elbows with guys like Dudley and cam at these events, you see what's possible and you, you're almost like miss misaligned because you're able to, to yeah. be with those people. So people assume, Oh, Brandon must be that good or must have that capability. And I, I do right. not, I am much better as a hunter today than I was six months ago, just because of some of the trips to hunt pigs and, and whatnot. But from three years ago to four years ago, I'm a different human being as far as that goes for hunting. Is that something that you strive for too? Is just like ethical capability across all platforms. Totally. And I was going to make this point too, with the, with the weapon choice, mm -hmm. you know, not dilemma, but just the options, right? Because the other reason, other than the fact that I enjoy it and I don't, feel like I need to justify my use with a rifle when I hunt because there's even though there's probably a handful of people that would see as much as we're getting into recurve stuff they're like oh you're still gonna do rifle huh yeah kind of a deal you know but not that I need to justify that at all but the other part of it too is I don't have as much time as I would like in a lot of instances to spend a lot you know multiple days in a row yeah. hunting something and I told you when I went up uh, a couple weeks ago when we were when I was doing that bear hunt, like I brought both because mm -hmm. I was only going to be up there for like two and a half days. Yeah. And I'm like, I'll hunt the whole first day with my with my bow because I know if we see something, we get into something, I can go back and we can make a smart right. group plan together and do this on the second day. But then when we didn't see anything because we got blown up by wolves yeah. and we had to hunt an entirely new area the next day, that was my last day. Yeah. And so I'm like... I need to be the most efficient here that I can if I want to try to kill something. And so if I have to put myself in a position where it's like, I don't have a lot of time, but I can get to 300. Like, I, I know I have enough time to get there. I don't know I have enough time to drop down a whole other ridge, come up and get to 30, right. you know, and, and do that. So there's that aspect of it too, right? And so that's another reason where I want to make sure that I stay as dialed with that as I can, because oftentimes when I can, you know, I'm fortunate around here to be able to get to a lot of really great hunting places inside of two hours, sure. you know? And so I can do these like morning hunts, mm -hmm. like just get up early and go hunt until noon and then come back and just, you know, do the morning, the morning hours. Yeah. And when I do that, I like, I'll take my rifle. Cause I'm like, I have enough time to get something if I can get to this distance. Right. You know, but like I'm, if I'm going to be up, but unless I'm going to be up here for a couple of days, I, I need to make a different type of decision. So being proficient with all of these different things is like, A, it's just more skills. Right, right. <laughs> like why, like, let's just get better at more things and feel comfortable with more things. Yep. But B, it just gives me more options, yep. you know, and, and it allows me because I'm not somebody who is like. And, and Lampers might be the extreme example because he spends like 230 and Snyder spent yeah. like 230 days a year in the field. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I think Lampers just did like 42 days on his own on, on an elk yeah. for literally like over a month. He just by hunts himself. the whole season. Like he just does the whole season. He comes back for like a weekend to get some more stuff and then he's off yep. again. You know, like, and that's it. And so I don't do that. And, I'm, and that's the extreme end. I'm almost on the extreme other end like i've got two and three day pockets a few times yeah. throughout the year like i don't even do the long like even week-long trips um just because of how i have to st set stuff up schedule wise so it's like in those scenarios i need to make sure i can be the most efficient with that time right and i'm not gonna like look down on one choice of weapon because i like this other one now yeah you know well what I, mean? I talked to an older guy and uh he had bow hunted back in the eighties, early nineties kind of thing. 
and I shared a camp with him. Before it was cool yeah, again. Yeah, before it was cool again. <laughs> and uh, I shared a camp with him, and he was hunting with a rifle. And, you know, I, I think at times you can kind of get a little bit above yourself and think that, man, this guy, he's just taking the easy way out. So, I got, you know, again, that's when you believe in your own bullshit, right? So I talked yeah. to him. Guys killed everything under the sun with a bow. I mean, he was a very, very dedicated backpack backcountry kind of hunter and he was like you know what when i hit 40 i started a business and you know had another kid my days of hunting the way that i used to were over and he said i just made a choice to be a family man and a businessman and he was like i still enjoy the hunt i take two days here i take two days there i hunt four days a year and he's like i fill my tags he was like that yeah. satisfies <laughs> me you know and yeah. um he was like had i not killed to the level that I did when I was younger, I might still have the hunger for it. But it's like, once you kill so many elk, you know you can kill elk. And once you kill so many yep. mule deer, you know you can kill mule deer. And it's like, well, after I killed six caribou and after I killed this and this, it's like, I still want to hunt, but it's a different thing now. You know, I like taking my grandkids. Yeah. I like taking my kids. So he does all his, he dedicates all of his time that he would be bow hunting to his grandkids, you know, and takes them yep, hunting. Totally. So it's like, all right, you can give this guy shit for being a rifle hunter if that's your game, or you could sit down and understand that this guy still loves to hunt, has probably passed on generations of hunting because of his approach, yeah. has built a successful, very successful business, and has stayed married to the same woman for 40 years. So it's like, yeah, that's a pretty cool thing, you know, when you look at the yeah. whole spectrum. So it's very difficult. It's very individual because there's times where I've had the recurve in my hand and it may look cool in a photograph, but I have eaten tag soup and hated that thing because of it. Yep. So yep. that's what I would challenge anyone to understand is there's going to be gifts and curses with any and all of it. Um, yeah. Just like I had an elk at 40 yards and he was a giant, but my scope was range and he surprised us. My scope was ranged yeah. at about 250, and in yeah. the, in the time that it took me to dial down, done that, acquire, done that. I mean, he was already gone. So at 40 yep. yards, would my compound have served? Maybe. Um, if he had come to 20, would my recurve have served? Probably. But it's like yeah. in any one of those scenarios, there's still ifs. There's if, there's what ifs and maybes yep. and there's still animal behavior, you know? And that's yeah. what makes hunting so fucking great. Like that is what makes yeah. it absolutely great is you can walk out and think it's a slam dunk and get your ass kicked. And you can be on yep. the last day, last hour thinking, man, I just blew all this money. I just wasted all this time and a miracle happened. It's, yep. it's all happened to me. And you know, I don't, I probably have more days in the field than a lot, but there are some people, like you said, that have more time with me. People that hunt five days a year, people that hunt 200 days a year, they're just as likely to see the same behaviors that I did. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it yeah. is. If you're out there, you're going to get some like perfect example standing there. I was talking to my buddy, Joey, he's the coyote hunter. I was telling you about earlier, but yep. standing there back at the car, putting the gear away and out comes this coyote at like literally 30 yards, just calm as could be walks out, looks at me, looks at her, puts his head down, kind of looks around and just stands there. And I'm like, mm -hmm. get your fucking bow, get an arrow and knock it. <laughs> and like all of this, because you know, they're the most skittish animal in the world. Like they're, there's usually if they see a human being, they're gone. Just stood there and chilled. And it was like right about the time that a shot was going to be possible gone. But, but yep. again, I was telling Joey the whole experience and he's like, I've never seen a coyote do that. Never seen a coyote behave that way. And he's out there killing coyotes all the time, you know? So yeah. is it because somebody who would understand coyote behavior more than for anybody. sure. And he was like, but I can tell you yeah. some other things that you wouldn't believe. You know what I mean? And that's the reality yeah. of it is that's, that to me is what makes it so exciting. That's why I still love whitetails as so much because you're not necessarily in pursuit the same way you are out West where you can spot and stalk. I mean, you can spot and stalk whitetails in the right situation, but I'm talking Appalachian whitetails where it's, Thick yep. oaks, cover, leaves on you the ground. It's 80 yards of visibility at most. Yeah, yeah. So um, <laughs> to me, it, it's that's nature's gift. When a, when a good buck yep. walks out to you, 
your preemptive work is done in finding the right tree, finding the trails, finding the stand. Um, you know, all of that is the spot and stalk of, of Appalachian whitetail. It, it just that you have to be in the right spot. You have to set that up. You have to have the knowledge. And when it happens, man, that's why I don't pass on whitetails very often. Like if it's a one year old or something for sure. But if it's a mature whitetail and somebody says, Hey man, there's a 180 that's coming in here every two or three days. And I see a good three and a half year old. That's 120, 130. Yep. I am shooting the yep. 120 or 130 because I've sat there for the next deer so many times that it's never come, Yep, you know, and I've sat there thinking, man, the big deer is never going to come out. And it's the first one that does. So it's just, you got to put the time in, you got to love what you're doing. You got to understand that some days the reward is not a trophy. Some days the reward is not a kill. Some days the reward is watching a squirrel roll around in the leaves for an hour. And it just makes you remember that like, well, that's annoying as hell right now, but he's having fun. Maybe I should try to have some fun with some right. stuff too. You know, like there's, <laughs> right. you, you take whatever lesson the woods give you, but I've, I've yet to ever leave the woods feeling less than I did when I went in. Yeah. You know, there was a, a point I wanted to make too, just to close the loop on the rifle thing, because I know it's just a conversation that people have about it. You know, this is easier, right? As if it's easy to hit a pie plate at 400 yards, <laughs> right? Like, you know what I mean? Like it's sure you, you can do it with a bullet easier than you can with a bow. But like, I don't think most people who look down on rifle hunting have actually shot anything at a remote distance. You know what I yeah. mean? Where it's like, yeah, hit this spot from 400 yards. Tell me how easy it is. Like it's doesn't matter that I, it, that it's possible. It's not more, it's not easier. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and then the other thing uh, I have it cause we were, I was looking it up. Um, when we were talking about it earlier the the for Idaho stuff, non-res. So you can do a combination hunting and fishing license. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you did a combo license, it's 264 as a non-res. For the license. For okay. the license, just the license. If you just did hunting, it's 185. Uh, there's, you know, $20 depredation fee that you put on that kind of stuff. But if you had the tags... So black bear is two thirty one. So four hundred and fifty dollars for a black bear hunt. For a black bear. Deer is three fifty one. Okay, so five twenty five. Uh also you can get uh second bear for twenty three. Yeah, so three seventy five, five twenty five. So for nine hundred bucks you could kill a mule deer and two two black bears in Idaho. I yep. mean if if you uh, if you were elk, successful. Right. Elk is six fifty one. Okay, so eight thirty five, give or take. Yeah, so I mean, you're under a thousand for the for the for the paperwork on an elk. Where in Colorado, it's like over a thousand just just for the, for the tag. tag. Yeah, well, and it's crazy yeah. because that state is inundated with out of state hunters. Um, totally. I was I went out there. Uh, I don't remember what year it was. Nineteen, and this was before they they said COVID really made it bad. Like you know, because yeah. people didn't have anything to do. But in nineteen, uh, I was out there, and there were still. I mean, the trailheads were just full. And went up two ridges, immediately spotted other glassers, you know, guys up on the ridge tops looking down and fair play. Like they weren't doing anything wrong. They weren't assholes. They were they were just out there doing yeah. what I was, but it gets pretty yeah. defeating when you know, okay, I came through here and didn't blow anything out, hopefully. Yeah. But those two guys came through probably the same area roughly. Did they blow anything out? And then you're like, Oh, over there three hundred and fifty yards away, there's another guy sitting up on glass. You know, so yeah, in a close proximity of let's call it a 600 yard square, you've got four hunters that I can immediately see, and you know there's yeah. a, not including the ones not you including don't. the ones that are good and, <laughs> and sit back off. The, yeah, that's one thing that um, I won't say where, but one of the things that we were pretty pretty dedicated to was we never sit on the the lines unless we had to. Like we would sit back like against the trees, and we would kind of like shell ourselves up as much as we could just to break up any of the lines so people didn't see where we were glassing from. But, you know, I'm I'm not as good a glasser as some I've seen. And, and by that, I mean attention to the glass. Um, I'll get on it for a good 15, 20 minutes, and then I'll get to talking, and then it's 15 or 20 minutes yeah. where I'm not. Dude, I know guys that are married to it. Like their eyes are on that fucking rim 
the whole time they're out there. And that's the only way you yeah. kill big shit. Like, cause you, cause you're yeah. not looking for like, for the average person that doesn't hunt, that might be listening to this 55 minutes into this episode still, um, you're not going to see usually just big full bodied spectacles of like, Oh, there's the bull. There's the, the deer. It's like, uh, when one of the guides out at Chino, when I was actually the first time I went El Coney out there, he was, and it was a rifle hunt. He's pointing across the way. He's like, you see him? And I was like, no. He goes, if you look right there, you'll see his tine. The front tine is sticking out behind this, this branch and you'll see the branch is gray, but his tine is white. And I'm yep. looking through here and I'm like trying to, trying to figure it out. And I'm like, I see a bunch of nothing. And he goes, dude, he's right there. Just look. I didn't, cause he was like, do not touch the scope. Just put your eye to it. So I do, and I don't see anything. And then the thing moved, and I see it. And he was like, I'm never looking yeah. for a bull. I'm looking for movement. You know, yep. and, like, that's an old saying, too. But, like, that was a case yeah. in point situation. Well, dude, that was how I saw That was how I saw the first doe the other day. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just sitting there, and it was, and it was like the – make the joke where – when there's just a little bit of snow on the ground, it's the worst time to try and find a mule deer because you're looking at the gray ground yeah. spotted with little chunks of white all over the yeah. place. And that's what a mule deer looks like on a landscape, like gray body and then their white yep. butt. Yep. You know, so like you, you think you see one all the yeah. time. Well, and so I think your brain and there's makes like millions you see of them on there. I think you're, oh, for you sure. Because that was like the pigs. Like every single thing that I saw that was black and low to the ground, I'm like, oh, that's a pig. Dude, I actually, I'm going to tell them myself. I actually stalked in on a, uh, it was a cow that was in some water and it was, um, it was kind of ballooning up. It was, uh, yeah. you know, just, it was past rigor mortis. It was coming undone. Yeah. But from the road, I'm driving down and I just see this black blob in a water spot and it's like hot day, pig, they love water. So I'm like, I'm looking. And I swear to God, I saw movement. Like I saw something move up here. Well, after the fact, and I get over there and I'm like, I'm like ready to go, ready to kill this thing. And I see that it's a cow and I realize it was a crow that had landed on its head and ah. was like flopping its, its wing around, around a little bit, bit just yeah. enough to make me think that it was a pig in a wallow. And like the, the way the cow was laid on its side looked like a pig sleeping in its wallow. Had big mud up on its belly, just like a pig would. So I was like, but dude, you don't know unless you take that stalk. You know, like unless yep. you take that stalk and play it right. And dude, I played the wind. I went slow. I did everything. Best stalk of your life. Yeah, I mean, animal. honestly. But you know what? It um, <laughs> It's funny. Like I laughed about it in the moment. Like what an idiot. And uh, I was actually, that was a theme of that trip was um, humming the Benny Hill or the Benny, uh, the, yeah, the Benny Hill, um, you know, the, the clown music, because every single time yeah. I would do something so stupid, it would be like, anybody that thinks I'm capable at all at this would just be like, yep. I'm never listening to another word this guy says about anything. Be with me today yeah. and your mind will but change. That's, but that's just it, man. And like, when you do have success, like if I'd walked up on a sleeping pig in a wallow and shot it. I would not have felt nearly as much as I felt shooting the other pig and, you know, having that stalk and having to go chase it down in the woods. And it was a terrible end, you know, for that pig. But it was also like, if I hadn't shot it two more times, how long would it have suffered? You know, and that's, there are people that will hide that. There are people that will shy away from telling that. And again, I'm not telling it to, to brag. Like, I don't think there's anything awesome about having to shoot an animal three times to kill it. I do think that yeah. there's something awesome about being persistent in your kill, you know, like getting the job done, mm-hmm. preventing that animal from further suffering and recovering the, the carcass. Like that's the goal. Amen to that. Right at the hour mark. I mean, I, I timed it. I was watching it. I was trying to wrap it up. It's like we're, it's like we're a radio show and you got a network clock that we got to make. All it right, wrap it up, wrap it up. Before wrap it up. Commercials. <laughs> I love when they, uh, was it, did you okay? So this is something to take it over an hour. Did you ever see the video of Slash playing with Michael Jackson when they turned the stage yes. lights on off on him? Yes. <laughs> they yes. kept trying to get him to stop, right. and he was like, "I'm not stopping at all, <laughs> ever." <laughs> that remi- it's it reminds me of the 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 Prince. Oh yeah. Video of at George Harrison's Hall yep. of Fame, 
and they're playing while my guitar gently weeps and he's got Tom Petty yep. and uh, like a handful of other guys and they'll just let rip Prince rip a solo that he and, and the story goes I don't you know how true right, right. it is I don't know but the story surrounding it is like he only played basically an eighth of the solo when they were in rehearsal yeah. so they're thinking that's only going to be you know however many measures of, <laughs> of music and then they'll come back in and he rips for like four more minutes in the live show and my favorite part of the whole thing and like you could tell like every time he keeps going and they come back around to the beginning of the chorus like they all just kind of look at each other and just like get back into it again and they play this so they can yeah. give him more music to play but the best part of the whole thing is if you look behind prince like kind of at the back is george harrison's son playing guitar with them and he i mean spitting freaking image of george right. harrison like literally looks just like him but he is just like ear to ear smiling, thinking what he's seeing is just the coolest oh, thing in sure. the entire world. Like the entire time, I'm like, why would you not think that? Like Prince pulls the move where he falls backwards towards the crowd and the security guard holds him up while he's like, like horizontal yeah. playing the solo. <laughs> so good. Yeah, man. That's, oh, a, man. that's a power, man. Like musicians have a rare capability in that spectrum. Like I don't know of any other performance where someone just FU's the, the curtain or FU's the, the end. You know what I mean? Like musicians do it more than yep. anyone that I know of. Oh, yeah. Maybe Nolan Ryan. So good. You know, pitching coach comes <laughs> out. Like, we're going to take you out. He's like, <laughs> yeah. go back to the bench. Go sit down. I'm going to finish this <laughs> thing. Send him I'm going to finish this thing. <laughs> going back. I got three more innings in this uh, arm. Yeah, but. So good. Anyway. Well, that was a good one, man. That was fun. We'll wrap it up. We'll catch you guys next All week. Right. Thanks, guys.